Hey, everyone. I'm so excited because Brian Howie is on the show today. Brian is the host and creator of the number one dating and relationship podcast in America. He's a leading expert in the dating and relationship sphere, and he's going to share all of his expert wisdom today in this show. Today's episode aims to educate, entertain, and inspire listeners seeking strategies to find love and navigating the complex world of relationships. It's going to be a casual and free-flowing conversation between Brian and I. He's got so much good information to share, and I think you are really going to enjoy today's episode of Manthropology. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Manthropology. Throw off the shackles of conformity and embrace your true self. Now, take it away, Kelly. There she is. Isn't she good looking? Uh, <laughs> Look at the hair. She looks very glamorous. Thank you. I'm violating my no Zoom rule for her. I would love to be doing this in person, but you're going to be gone. So you could stick around. Wouldn't kill you to hang out in Scottsdale. Where are you on Thanksgiving Day? Iowa. Iowa. Okay. Yeah. Where are you? Cleveland. Cleveland for Thanksgiving? Yeah. Oh, wow. It, you are hard to keep up with, I tell you. Well, I go there, then I go to Florida, then I come here, and then I go to Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii. Why Hawaii? Just for fun? No. I mean, it probably will be fun, but I have to do some speaking um, gigs at in uh, at it for Amazon. They're oh, well, that's to, cool. Yeah, they're sending me out to Honolulu. So, what? They are sending you? Amazon sending me to Honolulu? Yeah, I've done gigs for them all over the world. Yeah, I, I'm a big deal. Somebody came to the Great Love Debate, or big, big exec at Amazon in Bellevue, Washington, where they are, came to the Great Love Debate, and she's like, this stuff is really about confidence and communication. Can you speak to like corporate people and employees around about this? And I'm like, I suppose. I'm mostly telling jokes here, but I suppose. And so I... They um, have me do stuff like literally all over the world sometimes. Yeah. Well, that is something I didn't know about you. Yeah. I mean, I don't really do. They, yeah. I only do it for them. Just for Amazon. Just for Amazon. And um, I never know what I'm getting. Sometimes they'll fly me in and I'm in like a warehouse with people who don't speak English. And sometimes I'm with like execs. And, you have a you translator know, then? Um, no, they don't care. I did like four of them in 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 Thailand at some like conference and yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, there's people who do that for a living, really, like real speakers. But I'm I'm pretty good because I I have jokes. And who is this man of mystery? It's Brian Howie, the host and creator of the number one dating and relationship podcast in America. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you. So where do I even start? So how do you start a podcast called The Great Love Debate? What makes you an expert on this love stuff, Brian? I am no expert on the love stuff. I don't believe there's any expert on the love stuff. I'm really good at raising questions. And I think there's value in raising questions versus finding answers. I think the answers find themselves just by the nature of having asked these questions so many times in so many places around the world. I think we have a little bit better handle on the dynamic between men and women. Um, I have professionally, writer, director, producer, been been creating content around the dynamic of men and women for 20 years. Um, in 2014, I wrote a semi-tongue-in-cheek 
book about dating called How to Find Love in 60 Seconds. Um, my agent at the time said, rather than do a book tour with like 25 people in a Barnes and Noble, why don't you raise some of the questions that the book raises in like a town hall style setting? So we were supposed to do that one time as a promotional stunt um, in 2014 uh, in Santa Barbara, California. It blew up from there. It turned into the great love debate. It turned into this live tour. It turned into a podcast. It turned into a whole thing. So I, to answer your question, I don't consider myself an expert on it, but I really um, enjoy the subject matter. And I think by that very nature, if you are passionate and curious about a subject matter, it gives you some level of knowledge, even if it doesn't rise to the level of expertise. Well, you're not the only one who enjoys this subject matter. I mean, relationships are one of the most Googled, most sought after topics on podcasts, books, everything. Why do you think that is? Why is everyone searching for these answers when it comes to relationships? Because the relationship ecosystem is the one thing that no matter who you speak with, no matter who you sit down for a conversation with, it's the one thing that everybody has experience with, pain from, an opinion on, um, challenges with. It's the one thing I think that nobody has mastered. And so that leads for people to try and constantly go deeper and constantly search for that one thing, that one person, that one feeling. And um, it lends itself to that. People are like, you know, I'm up to my, I don't know, 430th episode of my podcast. People are like, are you going to run out? And I'm like, no, these are conversations I would have anyway. And I'm just recording one of those conversations a week. You know, I, I would talk about this anyway. I thought that by asking enough questions and finding uh, enough answers that somehow I would get the keys to the kingdom. Um, I'm not getting the keys to the kingdom, but I probably know 5% more than at least most dudes. And I think that helps me a little bit. I think you know more than most dudes. Definitely after listening to the Great Love Debate podcast, you've got so much good advice. But there are so many single men out there right now who are confused, hurting, broken, lost. What is going on in America? Why are people going through this? What's happening? I think the shifting of traditional gender roles in the middle of two generations of daters has really confused a lot of uh, men and women, okay? The the sort of rise of the independent woman is a really good thing in every aspect of life except for dating. Um, because the women need the men less, and I think being needed is an important thing for men, the men are essentially shooting at a at a 12-foot basket to get into your world. We used to shoot at a 10-foot basket. So the men have to be a better shot, yeah, but it's really confused, like, what is my role here? Like, we hear from men all the time that a certain demo, a certain age group, they don't even want you to hold the door. So there were, you know, a lot of women in their 20s, sorry, um, millennial women or Gen X, Gen Z, what is it? They're like, I'm not weak. Why are you holding the door? And a lot of men have lost their way. They've lost their purpose. And so they've retreated and they feel like they can't win. So they've retreated into this sort of world of video games and porn because they're like, I can get enough stimuli out of this. I can feel like I win. I can feel like, and that's the, that's the coming storm. That's the coming storm in the, in the dating world is it's going to be good enough. That level of stimuli, engagement, entertainment is good. Somebody's going to be able to take a picture of you in real life or take a picture of you off the internet 
create an avatar, a virtual version of you, get sort of 80% of the, the Kelly Brink experience and be able to be reasonably satisfied with that. And if reasonably satisfied doesn't sound that great, most people are just experiencing much worse than that. So they're like, I'm not going to get my heart broken. I'm not going to have to spend any money on this. I'm going to get a virtual version of you that is going. And, you know, I had Dr. Drew on my podcast. I don't know. First time, like eight years ago. And he told me this. He goes, this is the coming storm that that the virtual dating is going to be good enough that a generation of men are going to this combination of video game and I can win and I can create my perfect partner. That's going to really hurt not just the dating world, but our society. I mean, it's going to hurt the world. I yeah, mean, what about it's procreation? Stop the breeding. Yeah. Well, I mean, we hear from all the women all the time. I don't need you to have a baby, which you don't. I don't need this. I don't, the, the, the constant, I don't need you. I don't need you. A lot of the men are like, fine. And they're checked out. They are. And a lot of the women, you know, lots of things have happened in the last five years since we've been doing the Great Love Debate that really affected dating. Um, the rise of Me Too, which is a good thing for the most part. But I can't ask you out at work anymore. I can't compliment you at work anymore. There's a lot of repercussions of that. Politics have come into dating. You used to be able to maybe be married to somebody for seven years and not really know how they stood on a certain subject. It didn't really come up. Now, before they bring out the edamame, they want to know how you feel about Trump. Like right away. Like they want to know where you stand on these five issues. It's on people's dating profiles. I was just going to say that because I I'm in the dating apps on the dating apps and yeah. uh it's like if you're if you're a Trump supporter don't even contact me if you're you know people are leading with that they led with like must be vaxxed they lead with politics and so you're already coming into dating from a very antagonistic point of view we can't pick you up anymore can't pick you up for a date we used to have to pick you up we used to have to and now they're like no i don't we want meet. you to know where i live yeah, yeah, for security reasons, though, too, because there are security a lot of reasons. We were out there. psychos in the 90s. You think we were better then? And if we're <laughs> no. a true weirdo, I will hide it for three dates and then you will find out later. Like this idea, like, I don't want to know where I live. As soon as I have your phone number, I know where I live, where you live. That's true. You didn't know us any better 15 years ago. We had a pen and a napkin at two o'clock in the morning and we took your phone number and you're like, you're going to have to pick me up. And that led to an air of chivalry. I will pick you up. I will I will open the door. I will do all these things. Now it's, I need to get out of here 15 minutes if it doesn't feel perfect. And that is really bad to date. You have to work through that initial ick and awkwardness. And, you know, people used to be like, okay, I'm going to see how this goes for an hour and a half. We used to date that way. Now it is, I'm going to go in the bathroom and start swiping somebody else if this guy is not funny, charming, witty, or if she's not reacting a certain way. It's both both sides of this. Yeah. Well, that does bring up my next question about dating apps. I mean, you kind of already answered it, but I mean, what is the problem with dating apps? Is there one? There are a lot, I think. There are a lot. You know, our one of our taglines for the Great Love Debate used to be get out of get your head out of your apps. And <laughs> I used to say that the best dating site is Earth. And I had all of these things. I was very anti-app. Mm-hmm. That being said, people back in the 1930s were probably anti-telephone. They're like, can you believe this guy called me? Like, you know, we have to get used to the technology. We have to, we have to. The problem with the apps is that the men are sending 36 times more messages to women than women are. 36 times. And they're not getting responded to. The apps should work. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would say, do you know why the guys are sending dick pics? If a guy sends a dick pic to 100 women, 
three will respond. If a guy sends a poem to a hundred women, three will respond. So it's sort of like, am I going to like sit there and craft some iambic pentameter and send you a nice sonnet and you're going to laugh at it with your friends? Or it's like, fuck it. Let's see if she goes for this. You know, nothing is working. So he's basically like, I'll send out the low hanging fruit, so to speak, and see if she'll respond. I'm not saying the guy should do that. I'm saying that nothing they are doing is getting her to it. And all of them with the men, again, I'm not defending the men. The men suck for the most part. But the men are basically like, just give me the audition. Just give me the job interview. Just give me a chance to sit down. And the women on the apps, they're like, oh, he says he's 5'11". That means he's 5'9". And there's a really good chance he is 5'9". But if he's 5'11", he's fucked because they're not going to believe him. And there's a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of, you know, one of the things I always say is that the women look for red flags and the men look for green lights. And that is a problem with the way we're leading with dating. There's we've lost a lot of hope. There's a lot of fear, which I'm not saying there shouldn't be, but we didn't used to date that way. Yeah. And yeah. Well, so I will say like being on the dating apps for every I think 20 guys, there's like one woman, I think. What do you think? I think there's so many more men than women. So they don't, like women have so many guys to choose from on a dating app and they're just constantly being bombarded with guys like them. I think think the issue, you know, if it's on a swipe-based app, we'll take you for an example. May I take you for an example? Yes. (laughs) If you, because of the way you look, you know that if you swipe on a guy, it's almost a hundred percent chance that he swiped on you too. So it's yeah. not that special. The guy, it's not that thing. The guy is like, oh, she liked me. And, and it's almost like a bigger piece of validation than it's like, oh, she connected with me too. She must think something of me. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not quite balanced that way. Like, you know, you can probably go out with every guy once. Mm-hmm. You, I'm not sure you can go out every way twice, but at least once. So you know that you get a shot. You at least get up to bat. And the guys are like, I just want that equal shot. And sometimes they are so over the top, desperate, trying to impress, blah, 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 that they are, uh, for lack of a better term, exaggerating their resume to the point where she's only going to be disappointed. What do you think people are looking for on dating apps, though? Are they looking for long term relationships or are they looking for a quick fix of attention? What do you think? I uh, Both. Some people want to do. I know some people who do like I need 10 positive swipes before I go to bed, like this validation. I don't believe anybody is looking for anything other than one partner. I I, I think you think everyone's I, looking for that. I think everybody wants that. I don't know if everybody's looking for that. I think if you gave everybody a, a a notarized document that says that if you sign this, I will give you uh, a happy, loving, sharing, sexually active, honest relationship with this person. Will you sign up for that? They would, but they don't trust it exists. They don't right. trust the document. They don't trust the path. They don't trust it. I think everybody wants the people who are like, oh, I'm just out here to have fun. Or the people who are like, I just want to have sex. I think you hope to like her. Mm-hmm. I think you, you hope to like him. And then you would call him the next day. And you go like, who wouldn't want that? I don't believe the people who say they don't want that. I believe they are emotionally uh, either wounded or checked out. And so I think they need to get back to a a, a healthy place before they want that. But once they they do the work. So one yeah. cr- thing I will give the men um, credit on, not overall, I believe that there is a larger pool of men in America in 2023, as we record this, who are doing the work, who are trying, who are being curious, who are going to therapy or to, than has ever existed in this country. Yeah. 
And I believe the women are responding well to that. I think they like the vulnerability. I think they're like, I know you're screwed up. It, it's easier. It's much easier for me if you know you're screwed up too. And let's work from that place. Mm-hmm. And for generations, the men were taught to hide that. And we were taught that if we showed some weakness or or any of that stuff that the women would judge us badly. I think the men are learning that if if they own it, that goes a long way. And I think there's more people doing that than ever. I think so too. I think there are more people in therapy. You know, it's becoming yeah. normalized, less stigma to it. People, if you need to take meds, you know, it's, you know, being destigmatized. And I I see it people is. doing the work too. So yeah. Yeah, I think that helps. Yeah. You were talking a little bit about this, but emotional availability. People are working on things, but how important is it? And what is emotional availability? What do you think about that? Well, apparently very, because I always people are like, oh, how come you've never been married? And I and I always say, Well, it's only four o'clock, you know. I always <laughs> used to make a joke, but the real reason is I did not understand what emotional availability is. I did not, I had many, many girlfriends who were like, You just don't get it. You don't get what I want. So I would sort of emotionally uh, to use a poker metaphor, I would put enough chips on the table to stay in the game, but I would never go all in. Mm-hmm. And that is because, um, and I didn't even realize this until I started doing the great love debate. And I would hear from all these people who were experiencing like pain and joy and things that I'm like, what? I don't even dating, you know, boys, girls. I don't, I don't know. I, I never took it to that deep level, which was bad. Yeah. And um, I realized that because, so my parents were married, um, 57 years or something. I don't even think they liked each other. So because I couldn't trust their love for each other, I didn't trust their love for me, which means I didn't really trust the concept at all. And if you don't trust it, you're not willing to go to that place that I think you need to go to, to really be committed and really be in that relationship. And until I went to therapy, I didn't realize any of that. Um, I, so I was one of those people who were not you know, you're living in this bandwidth between like four and eight emotionally. You're not willing to go super high. You're not because you don't trust that. And you're not willing to go super low because it's too scary. So you'd kind of exist in this middle plane. That's not enough for somebody who's trying to create a life with you or trying Mm -hmm. to go to a place where we're going to build something together. I didn't realize any of that. And there are a lot of men walled off because of either childhood or some girl didn't react the way they expect their to when they were 16 and they carry around that pain and they carry around that anger and it it manifests itself in terrible ways for the women. I mean, there's some guys who literally have not gotten over like prom didn't go great for them. And, and at 45, they're still a little mad at something and they don't know how to process it and they're not doing the work and they're not opening up and i think that is something that we all need to look at like what is your emotional availability are you willing to risk being hurt to get you know right. the gold so it's basically fear of being hurt making yourself vulnerable i think you the think- women are afraid of being hurt and i think the men are afraid of being rejected oh and, okay and when the women get hurt the, the, the you know her friends or certain you guys kind of build up scar tissue from the time you're 14 and you learn how to process and deal with heartbreak. I'm not sure the guys ever do. I'm mm-hmm. not sure the guys are even willing to admit that this is what they're going through. They certainly don't share it with their friends and they haul, they wall it off and hold it in. And it could come out at any time and either, either they're not willing to, to give their new partner what they want, or they're really angry at women in general. There's a lot mm-hmm. of that, of course. 
Yeah. And um, it's just unhealthy. So I think the more conversations we have around this and the more men that are sort of opening up about why they feel certain ways, the women have been fantastic about being creating a welcoming environment for the men who are doing that. I'm not sure that would have happened 20 years ago or 30 years, 30 yeah, years ago. I agree. Yeah, I, I'm seeing a lot of men who are hurt because of rejection these days by women. Well, with like dating apps and the just like the not responding or the ghosting that goes on and things like that. Yeah. And the like, she didn't call me back or he didn't call me back or whatever. Like we're really not giving anybody the opportunity to work through that initial awkward nerve. You know, I always say you should give, unless you feel completely scared or he spilled something flammable on you at the restaurant, you need to give everybody two dates. Okay. Because the first one, you're, nervous, you're awkward, you know, I know at least by the second date, you're not physically repulsed by the person. You can probably relax and you can get to know more growth in a possible relationship happens on the second date than will ever happen on the first date. We're not giving each other a chance to do that. If it doesn't feel exactly the way you imagine it would be in your mind, everybody's out. And I'm like, I think we didn't used to be that way. I used to have been like, okay, I'll give me, I'll, let's see where this goes, you know? Um, Kelly? I'm going to step in for a second, let you know that we need to take a little ad break, okay? All right, thank you. And now, back to the show. What do you think about sex on the first date? Bad idea? Perfect idea. No, not a perfect idea. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I have an answer to this. People get mad at okay. this answer, but it's a real answer. Twice, professionally, I have done this. I have surveyed 1,000 self-described happy couples. Happy couples. Yeah. And um, ask them when they first had sex. The overwhelming number one answer is the first date. The number two answer is the second date, and the number three answer is the third date. Whoa! So I'm that... not saying I'm not saying because you have sex, it's going to magically thing. I'm saying that these people felt something. They weren't playing games. They weren't going to use sex as a referendum or a reward on way they were, and they just sort of rode with it. No pun intended. And they're like, "We're just going to." We felt this, and it worked out. Like it happens a lot. People are being more open now about saying, yeah, we had sex on the first date. It was great. Yeah. You know, it's not a stigma. I'm saying, you know, you can wait this, this magical time, three dates, 30 days, whatever you're in You don't know if you, how you really feel each, about each other until you have sex because the sex does change things, especially yeah. for her. Mm -hmm. And if you're like, I'm going to wait to find, you know, I need to be in a monogamous relationship before we have sex. You're not, by definition, you're not in any monogamous relationship until you have sex. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, you might think, you know, it, it, have sex with him. If he calls you the next day, he probably likes you. Go on from there. But then if he doesn't, because what I've heard is yeah. a switch gets flipped. And if you do that with a guy, mm -hmm. you know, they're like, She's not a high quality woman. I don't want to be with no, her. You don't want to date those guys. I'm, I'm, see, my ego is like, I don't think she would do that with everybody. She did that with me because I'm awesome. You know, I don't like the guys who are like, hold it against her because she had sex with them. You don't want to date those guys anyway. And, and sometimes like you might wait 90 days and you have sex with them and the guys will wait. Doesn't mean he likes you. Right. You know, it doesn't. Because at some point, he's like, I want some ROI on this, and I, I'm just going to wait and wait and wait. You know, you're waiting, and you're basically like, if he's willing to wait for sex, it means he likes me, respects me. No, it doesn't. It just means he's willing to wait for sex. It's fine. We'll wait. But it doesn't mean anything. Some ROI is as if... I mean, like, I spent a lot of dates and dinners and whatever, and it's like, and then he's like, oh, shit, I'm 1,200 into this. At some point, there better be some payoff. It doesn't mean anything. 
he looks at it differently than you. And I people get mad when I say this, but it is true. The people who are like, I'm not going to play these mental, financial, emotional games. And I ask the women this all the time. I go, how many times have you waited to have sex, gotten to know this guy, felt comfortable, and then the sex sucked and you're out of there all the time? Yeah. The women are like, yeah, all the time I do that. Mm-hmm. So what I tell the women is the sex for him, it's not necessarily about the sex. It's, I always say, we think you think we're gross as women. We do. <laughs> Because when we go on a date with you, we compliment you. We try and take care of you. We're giving you all that. And and we might get back like a thank you. We're not getting anything back. The sex tells us somehow you desire us in some way. If you said to a guy on the first date, listen, I'm not going to have sex with you until I feel comfortable. But once I feel comfortable, it'll blow your mind. He will calm the fuck down because he knows then that in your mind, there's a possibility of some shit's going to go down in a good way in life. He really just wants a, 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 um, some sort of notification that you think he's physically desirable. And I don't know how women express that because you rarely compliment us. Women rarely like, oh my God, you look so handsome. It just doesn't happen that much. Really? Yeah, I do. George I Cooney, always do that. It's I... pretty rare though. We might hear, we don't hear it. Maybe I don't hear it a lot, but <laughs> most men just, you just don't hear it. It's not coming back. Like you probably hear a hundred times a day, like, oh my God, you're so pretty. You're so like, you hear it. It's normal. It's white noise to you. We don't hear it at all. So mm. if you're like physically do something with us, it's like, oh, she must think of us on that kind of level. Mm-hmm. Um, where if we just know that women always think that the, the men's love language is physical touch. No, it's not overwhelmingly it's words of affirmation. If we get the words, we don't need the touch. We want the touch, but we don't need it. The words of affirmation is what you want. You want to hear it. We want to be admired, appreciated, respected. And like I said before, the need does matter. We need, you know, you don't need to fall over damsel in distress. We know you can buy your own stuff. We know you can get, but just let us get something off the top shelf. I mean, let us do that. Let us kill a spider. You know, it goes a long way to the fragile male ego, and there is a fragile male ego. I was, this is so funny that you said love languages because I had, I didn't know my love language. I took the quiz last night for the first time. Oh, wow. I'm words of affirmation and uh, gifts. Gifts. Yeah. Yeah. I know you. But that doesn't mean I'm materialistic. It means means, what's behind it. Yeah. You know, I agree with you. And the women make this mistake that the touch is about the touch. No, it's because men are wildly insecure. And I think I'll admit that. And the words do mean a lot to us because we just don't hear them. We get the mm-hmm. occasional thank you. That happens when yeah. I brought up the first date, second date. A lot of women are like, well, I don't understand. I go on these dates and they never follow up. And I'm like, do you tell them that you'd like to do it again? And they're like, no, he could tell. I'm like, he can't tell can tell anything i'm like did you say thank you i'd love to do this again they're like no i just said thank you and i'm like you should say thank you even if you hated him if you had some manners like he needs a little bit more because he cannot tell you guys give us these clues at a a level only dogs can hear like we have no idea that's true yeah you know we need a little bit more overt communication and a lot of women are like, I don't have to do that. I don't have to train you. He, I, I want somebody who picks up on my signals and knows what I like. I mean, you guys are snowflakes. You're all different. You're all different. All we know 
is what the last girl liked. And we probably found that out way too late. You know, Mm -hmm. if you tell us what I want, need, desire, what makes me happy, we'll jump up to get the cheese. And a lot of times the women aren't sure what they need to make. If I said, and I've done this before, I've asked a bunch of women, what makes you happy or what do you need to be happy? And the list of what makes you unhappy is right there. It is ready to go because you spend a lot more time thinking about what you don't want than what you do want. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know, there's no way he's going to know. Men are not mind readers and women are very complicated. Right. And you're all different. What made one girl this? So if you're just, if you say this in a, in a positively reinforcing fashion, like if you said to me, oh my God, you're going to wear that hockey jersey to dinner. We're going to feel like we failed in some way. But if yeah. we come out with the hockey jersey on and be like, you look so fantastic in that blue suit. I love to see you in that. Good. We'll go put on the suit because we're like, we get that. We know you're very clear about expressing what you don't like. Yeah. And the women are often less clear in what we do. Like we, we do need the smack on the nose, but we do need the pat on the nose. And I don't think the, the fragile man gets enough pats on the nose. I don't either. And women always, my friends and I, you know, we're always like, I don't understand men. Men are so complicated, but I really think men are pretty simple. I think they want to be respected and appreciated, needed. I don't think it's that hard, but women want to be heard. Talk a little bit about that. You recently replayed an episode. Well, I say there's three things. I, I I say that a woman wants to feel special. She wants to feel sexy. And she wants to feel safe. And safe is the tr- tough one, is the hard one. It's about trust and sharing and vulnerability and honesty and all of those things, not even necessarily a physical thing. And a lot of that starts with her being heard. And it doesn't mean she has to be right. It just means that she matters enough that you are going to take the time, regardless of the time of day, regardless of her mood, and just hear what is on her mind and respect that. And and we don't do, ne- and I found that out way too late. Like I found that out like, wait, what? And I, what are you talking about? Why are we having this conversation now? Like she has the right to be heard and she needs to be heard. And I think the men need to understand that. You don't have to agree with her. You don't have to do anything. Just, just respect in this moment and this could change. She feels this way about this subject and and has these things to say. That matters tremendously. And that is part of feeling special. And when you hear her, she feels sexy. And the biggest part of that is she feels safe. She's like, I can trust that I can share what is on my mind and what is in my heart with you right now. I agree. Good. Let's talk a minute about long distance relationships. Can they ever work? What are some of the anecdotes you have about long distance relationships? Uh, I've done them. I've been them. I think uh, communication is absolutely key. A lot. The biggest downfall of of long distance relationships is a lot of times there's questions, there's jealousy, there's not knowing what they're doing, whatever. You have to be able to communicate on a regular basis, get into a routine where even if they're not with you, they feel like you're there with you. That being said, if you're only doing every other weekend, I can do Saturday nights with anybody. It's Tuesday mornings and Wednesday mornings when you've got kids and you got to go to work and stress. You don't find out about a relationship until you were seriously in the muck. Mm-hmm. And the muck of a relationship often doesn't, doesn't manifest itself into a, when you're in a long distance relationship. So a lot of people are like, oh, we dated long distance for two years and now we're engaged. And I'm like, have you ever spent 30 days in a row with the same person? Have you spent four seasons with them? Have you spent every time of day? And they're like, no, we could tell. You can't tell. 
Like you need to really figure it out a way to come together there, there. I think there's a shelf life on a long distance relationship and we've all dated, you know, I love dating flight attendants for a while. And they're like, Oh, they're only around. I can do two days a week. That's all my bandwidth. Anyway, it's great. But if you're really going to be serious about people at some point, you're either going to have to move to a third place together or somebody's going to have to break down. So it can work for fun purposes or whatever. You really have to communicate to not be like, Oh my God, where are they at four o'clock in the morning? Or why didn't I hear from them or whatever? You have to really respect and not just pretend it doesn't matter. You can't pretend that the space between you does not matter. And if you honor that and say, we are far apart, but we're going to do whatever we can to feel like we're together, mm-hmm. whether it's Zoom or call or text or make plans or share things. Um, you know, people ask me, um, I always say before you find love, you have to define it. You have to find what it means for you. Because I could be like, I love pizza. I love the New York Giants. I, we throw the word around a lot. But yeah, we do. Talk about romantic. You have to define what it means. And for me, I defined it as there's nothing I'm doing that I wouldn't rather be doing with her. Mm. Doesn't mean I have to do it with her. It means that I would rather do it with her. And so that goes a long way in a long distance relationship because whatever I'm doing, I'm thinking I would rather do it with her. And so that feeling can sustain itself over five miles apart or 5,000 miles apart if you feel that way. And it's very tangible to me that I know that like, oh, I'd rather be doing this with her. I think I love her. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's not quite fireworks or romantic enough, but it works for me. Like I get that. And Mm -hmm. so having that feeling in a long distance relationship, I think goes a long way to sort of bridging at least the the metaphorical gap. Mm, I like that. What are some of the most important qualities that you've found in men who are having successful relationships? What are some of the characteristics they have? You know, I wrote something about this once. I'm trying to get it right. Um, I don't know, paraphrase myself. Stand in front of her when she wants you to protect, stand beside her when she wants you to love, and stand behind her when she needs you to believe. Mm, Does that make sense? It does. Phil, I wrote that a while ago in a play, like 20 years ago. And I was was like, yeah, that kind of makes sense to me. There are different roles that you need, that she needs from you in your life. You need to support her. You need to protect her, not just physically. You need to share with her. You need to be in there. So you need to be open enough to not just give her things what she wants, but to interpret the stimuli and the things that may not coming back in perfect verbiage for her that you're both kind of riding this wave together. And if you can fulfill several different roles, even if they're just sort of nebulous or you're just kind of around for her, she wants you to be present. Um, She wants you to do a lot of those things that a lot of men are like, Oh, I can just buy her a watch. And I'm like, (laughs) you guys can buy your own watch a lot of times now, which is challenging. Now, the more, you know, that's why I keep bringing that up. The more independent the women get, the harder it is for the men to find this shorter path to be in her world. Mm-hmm. And you need to find ways that her life is better with you in it than not with you in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's up to you. Yeah, and that's part of up to you too. Like, how is my life enhanced by he, him being in that? And mm-hmm. let him know that because he's just flailing around 
trying stuff to get you uh, to either react or be naked. And, um, (laughs) you know, and, you know, it's men are, we're very, you know, the women are motherboards and the men are light switches. Like it's a very different wiring. And um, I think the men that, that uh, do pretty well understand that they understand that all the women are different and you can't just go in with this, like, this is my playbook. Like I hate the, the, the pickup artist community. I hate that. I think a lot of that, I think a lot of that is founded in revenge. I think a lot of that is like that. Uh, those guys, they're not keeping any of these women. They, they might get them in a drunk in an hour or for whatever, but you need to really take the time to bend like, okay, they're different. She's different. And I'm going to try and learn her curiosity sustains a relationship. You constantly trying to learn yourself. You're trying to learn her and you're trying to learn the relationship. You're always asking questions. You're both growing. Hopefully you're both on a journey. You're both, you know, I didn't know who I was at 30. I'm supposed to know who you are, you know? And I think a lot of people don't respect the fact that you both might be better, different people than you were when you met. A lot of times, especially when people get married, they go from husband, wife to mom and dad. And that's a much different dynamic from when you met. You have to honor that. And you have to be like, okay, that is a different role, but let's still go on a date. Let's still try and be boyfriend, girlfriend. My grandparents, they were always the model for me. They went on a date every Saturday night for 62 years. Oh, That mattered to them. That's how they spent their money. And my mother's always like, they're poor. They wasted money on bowling and dinners and they didn't buy a nice house and i'm like not to me that to me they seem like happy people yes you know the howie house had a lot of money but it was cold they didn't care about date night you mm-hmm. know so i was like they constantly were sharing experiences and you know and it wasn't just about and, and i think that couples who do that and men who do that and women who do that who recognize we need to fulfill each other in different ways that are that are just basic give and take yeah Well, the divorce rate is so high. Obviously, we know that. But I think a lot of the problem is people go into a relationship thinking it is always going to be like this. I'm marrying this person. They're never going to change. And if you're living life right, you're both going to change. You're going to evolve. And I think we need to grow together. You know, I agree. And I think a lot of people go into marriage being like, "Okay, this is the next step. If it doesn't work, we'll just get divorced. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think they're they're the happily ever after matters anymore. That being said, I found out a stat the other day that I was like shocked at. So we, we've heard some variation on half of marriages end in divorce. We've always mm-hmm. heard that. Yeah. Well, apparently the people who get married two or three or four times are skewing the pool. So first, oh. so the first marriage, rate. so it's a lot of them, like something like, right. Something like 70% of, of the marriages are multiple marriages. Mm-hmm. And really the, the odds of like what first time marriages working are actually a little bit better than 50. Oh. You know, we're selling well, hope good. here. We're selling hope here a little bit, but hmm. that's a little bit true. But how many do you have under your belt now? Oh, three? oh, I don't, three I only count, dozen? I count two of them, but there are three. <laughs> I have three okay. under my belt, but okay. I feel like that reflects really poorly on me. So I don't just volunteer. It means you're hopeful. I don't know about that. Part of me think, trust me, you get over 40 like me and you've never been married. It is a giant red flag and it should be. It should be. I would hold that against some woman who'd never been married at 40. I would. Yeah. And I would hold it against me. Yeah. I believe in marriage. At least it says I believe in marriage. So. Yeah. I mean, if it works, it works. My parents were also married 57 years until my dad passed away. So I did yeah. have a good role model for what that is, but 
you know, I had my own stuff to work through, I think, too, which I've, and, and I think maybe I've now you're capable. I think, you know, so. all things about capable, you have to get to the point where you're capable, not just. And a lot of times men and women get married for different reasons. A lot of times she's like, I want the house, the dog, the white picket fence. Like he's not even on that list. Like mm-hmm. he's not even in there. That's um, true. She wants a life and he can provide that life or be a conduit to that life. But the sharing of a life together, that's a little bit back burner for way too many people. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the best and worst cities to find love? Oh, that's a good question. We put out our annual list every year. Some cities are always on the list of bad. Oh, I heard Kansas City is really bad. Kansas City is really bad. So the cities that tend to do, let me start with the bad ones because that's always more fun. Okay. You know, Seattle is terrible. You've got a lot of um, soggy weather, independent women, and socially awkward men. It's a bad combination. Okay. Uh, San Jose, Silicon Valley, a lot of these men were basically feel entitled. They're like, I was told if I made a million dollars, all the girls would like me. And all the girls that are like, well, I made a million dollars too. So um, there you go. Philadelphia is rough. There's way too much um, machismo there. A lot of the women there are like, the men here are such assholes. And the men there are like, so? Like, they don't even register. <laughs> New York's tough. LA, the, the good weather cities are tough because Ooh. you can have a reasonably satisfying day. Walk your dog, you drink some wine, you can look at the sunset over in Los Angeles, San Diego, whatever, without having to like, I got to sit across somebody I don't know for 45 minutes. So you're not quite as motivated to get into oh. into it if it's like my day was okay. I don't need somebody in this. That's interesting. People are just so content with life. Yeah, it's they a don't... content life. You're like, you know yeah. what? This is nice. I had a pleasant day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the cities that tend to show up on our list of the best, uh, two of them show up a lot and, and they're for different reasons. Chicago is almost always on the list for the basic reason is that men and women do things together socially Mm. still in a lot of the South women are on one side and men are on one side till 11 o'clock at night when somebody's drunk enough to cross like a school (laughs) dance, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of that weird energy in there. Um, but in Chicago, men and women, you know, there's there's a lot of time when the weather's terrible. But that first nice day of spring, you see men and women playing sports, watching games, sharing space, and Mm. they're not, afraid of each other that goes a long long way where you have at least proximity to large pools that goes a long way another city that is really underrated is washington dc you have a really good pool of people a lot of people are smart there a lot of people are ambitious there but the pool turns over a lot almost everybody who's in washington dc didn't come from there right you know they do all that and also it is a good career move to get married you're looked at as far more stable being married. So the people there, especially the men are more incentivized to have their fun. And then some more along the line at 36, they're not like me. They're going to, they're going to get married. Those of us who live most of the time in like LA or Austin or places like that, you don't want to get off the ride. Like you're like, if I get married, I gotta, I gotta stop this. It's not terrible. Well, again, you're having so much fun. (laughs) Yeah. DC that, you know, there's only been one bachelor president ever, ever. I didn't know even that. back in the day. There's only been one president who was never married. It that doesn't a, surprise me. Yeah. People look at you as unstable. Like yeah. I can't run. Yeah. They don't want a bachelor president. I'm, I'm out. Yeah. I couldn't run. Got to be you over know, two 35. Things that are disqualifies are, are atheist and bachelor. Pretty much everything else America will put up with. They won't mm-hmm. put up with those two things. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Any final words? 
you, well, you know, it comes down to this. People ask me a lot, like, um, what is the thing that I that I've really learned about this? Two things I've learned. The women want the men to try harder and the men want the women to make it easier. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the standoff. Mm-hmm. And if they took sort of one step back towards each other, I'm going to make it easier for myself. and I'm going to stop making it harder for myself. I think that goes a long, long way. And the secondly, the thing I've I've um, I've learned is that the answers almost always lie outside of your comfort zone. Mm. Almost always. You think you like if you're over 30 and you're still people always say uh, they're not my type. If you're over 30 and you're still single, you have no type. Your type's not working out for you. And you got to get rid of those words altogether. And so I combine that with get out of your comfort zone. So it's it's always about confidence. How do I feel not just about myself, but being outside of my comfort zone? So there, there's one day of the year in America that the most people are collectively most confident. You know what that day is? Mm, their birthday? I don't know. No, a lot of people cry themselves to sleep on their birthday. <laughs> Halloween. I Halloween. was going to say that all the slutty costumes come out. Forgive they my are, It's not about being liberated to be something else. It's about being liberated to be anything you want to be without fear of judgment. Oh, you wow. You could be a refrigerator on Halloween. You could be a slutty nun on Halloween. There's this costume confidence that people don't have the other 364 days of the year. It's yeah. remarkable. So if people could make that little subtle change every single day, like I'm going to wear a color I don't normally wear. I'm going to wear an accessory I don't wear. I'm going to try a food I don't normally. I'm going to sit across from somebody who I think is not my type. It goes a long, long way to carry that, what I call costume confidence into the rest of the year. Uh, You know, just think about that. People are like, I'm not comfortable getting out of my comfort zone. I'm like, you dressed as as the Tin Man last year. You clearly are capable. And um, that goes a long way. It really is the time that Everybody, nobody judges anybody on Halloween. And if you take away the fear of judgment, I think you're good. You can be as slutty as you want on Halloween. You know, you really can. You really can. Mm -hmm. It's a free pass. And so take the fun, the playfulness, the the creativity into as much of every day as you can. I, I think that goes a long way. I think you're so right. That just really resonated with me because I'm like, I mean, I live in a town of like four thousand people, Mm -hmm. but. If I have a show or something, I will put on a nice dress and I will step out. And I have never felt so confident as when I do things like that, like my costume, you know? Right. It's, it's, you know, every time you're on a first date with somebody, you're sort of just out with their publicist and you're your publicist or you're always, you're, you're already playing a character most of the time anyway. Yeah. You know, take that and everything else. Just take that mindset and take that attitude. It goes a long, long way. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I love that. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm just so happy you came on. This has been amazing and fun. it's gone so fast. So I could talk to you for hours and ask you, what am I doing wrong with my life? Yeah, I mean, I've <laughs> learned this, like, you know, like we've done, 450 live great love debate shows in 135 cities and 13 countries. So we have heard from hundreds of thousands of live people. So I, I didn't just like fall out of the womb knowing a lot of this stuff it is what we've heard and learned and absorbed from all these people that it's like, this is what works. This is what doesn't. And let's just try and do a little better. You know? Oh my gosh. Are you going to write a book? I get asked to write another book again. I so worried. What was that- the first book? How to find love in sixty. How to find love in sixty. And I don't even believe anything in the book anymore. I just didn't, you know, I don't even stand by the book. Um, I'm so afraid because our societal and our dating universe changes so quickly that as soon as I hit print, it would be out of date. Mm. That I'm sort of like I like doing the podcast because it's like adding an adding another chapter to the book 
with no period on it. And so I don't know. But I get asked. I get asked to do like oh. 50 dates in 50 states kind of thing once Netflix in a while. Netflix special. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. We'll see. <laughs> so everyone should go subscribe to the Great Love Debate podcast if you want a lot more insightful information from Brian Howie. It is the number one dating and relationship podcast in America. This guy knows what he's talking about. And you can follow him on Instagram. I will link to all of his information in the show notes. And Brian, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is fun. <laughs> Manthropology is written, produced, and hosted by Kelly Brink. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback helps us improve and reach more listeners like you. You can stay updated on all things Manthropology by following us on Instagram at ManthropologyPod. Questions? Email us at info at ManthropologyPod.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week on Manthropology.